This is episode number six of the Bearded Marketers. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Tonight we're going to be talking about fake sales and honesty and ads and email marketing. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about social media marketing and, and what social media marketing marketers are measuring uh, with their online efforts, be it ROI, sales, engagement, whatever it is. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about something that's pretty dear to my heart and something that I've been frustrated with for a while, and that is selling me snake oil and your blog posts, reports, benchmark guides, and what we as marketers need to demand from publishing companies. And wrapping that up, there was a pretty good uh, article and conversations that Matt Cutts in particular at Google uh, has kind of insinuated that Google might be starting to establish usability guides and taking that into consideration in their ranking algorithm, which could potentially have some big impacts for us as marketers. Um, so we're going to talk about that. What what do we need to keep in mind? What does that potentially change for us as we juggle things? Uh, and kind of really dig more into that. Google, why you always have to be changing? <laughs> but uh, anyway, so let's start off with fake sales, honesty in your ads. Rob, no, so no, who no. pissed you off this week? Let's let's get into this. We'll we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Ah. I think we missed the segment of what we're drinking tonight. If right. you hear the glass tinkling, cling, cling, cling. <laughs> tonight I'm drinking uh, gin and ginger beer, and I am as well. It's very good. It's a uh, first time I've had it, so it's kind of a variant on a Moscow Mule, which is also very delicious if you've never had it. Uh, but the uh, gin and the ginger beer work well together. Uh, it's a good summery time drink. It's Absolutely. already hot as hell here in Florida. Yes. All right, so <sighs> not ready. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> uh, it's awesome. Um, okay, so fake sales and fake sales and honesty and your email marketing specifically, mm-hmm. at least, that's what prompted the topic. And I know you're talking about, you know, who pissed me off this week. Yeah, this week I'm calling it out. Mm-hmm. You know, usually we try to stay away from saying company names. You know, I don't, I don't want to get people on my bad side. We've had a couple of gin and ginger beers, so we're gonna be real, real here. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm tired of getting sued by people. All right, <laughs> but this time H&R Block, you okay. did me wrong. Okay, so specifically with them, they have been continually emailing me for the last three months. Obviously, it's tax season, trying mm-hmm. to get me to file my taxes again with them. <laughs> With a $5 off coupon that says, this is good, you know, file, file today. With a countdown timer even, This is your last chance. (laughs) This is your last chance for the $5 off coupon. Um, But it's not true because then next week you send me the exact same email again. (laughs) So there's no urgency there anymore. Uh And, you know, as much as I say that, I did actually click on it today and (laughs) and file my taxes. And I did end up paying them money for that. So it did work. Mm -hmm. Actually, matter of fact, I don't think I got my $5 off now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, sons of... <laughs> Send me open ads. that wound. Wow. Ripping open that wound. That's well, true. I, I still think, though, you bring up a good point uh, and one that's valid. You know, <clears throat> I, in general, don't mind signing up for new for a list if I feel like I'm going to get something of value, whether that's, you know, I like your products as a company or I think you give out meaningful information. But... If I start getting, you know, 40% off coupons all the time and I click through <clears throat> and the only thing that's 40% off is the whack where is Waldo shirt and one size small that's available, that starts to wear on me after a while. And that's stuff that I remember. Um, but conversely, you know, if you're always sending me out the same email, whether that's like free shipping, but 
you always offer free shipping. That's not, yeah. that's not a deal. That's just you reminding me about it. But you frame it in a way like, this is a limited time offer, but I know it's not. You know, that starts to kind of knock at your trust with me as, as a retailer, but also how I feel like your message is relevant. And maybe people are stupid in general, and that works as, as a tactic, but I think that people are evolving and becoming smarter online, and those types of things start to really take a knock on, like I said, your credibility and trust with people. Um, and I'm probably less likely to share that information with others or you know, talk in a positive light about your company because of that messaging that I receive. Um, now, maybe it's the case that not... You know, people only click through a certain amount of your email, so that's still a fine tactic. But I'm seeing that more and more now as people, you know, are essentially scrambling for your attention in the email box. That is becoming commonplace, especially in the e-commerce side of things. Um, but it also happens as well with people that deliver content. You know, I, I noticed that, and we're going to cover this later on with the snake oil aspect, but... You know, me as a marketer, I subscribe to quite a few publishing companies that do benchmarks and, you know, blog posts and webinars. And it's like the numbers of gains just keep going up and up by multiple, you know, like by exponential right. margins as they, you know, try to outdo one another. And when you actually get into this content, it's like, well, yeah, you did. But that is such a small part of what you're offering that it's not even really relevant to the conversation and now I'm kind of pissed because I didn't really learn anything. You just essentially did a bait and switch, you know, with me to kind of get my attention, but it wasn't really worth my time. So right. I think I think you got a, a good point there. And, and I think it does, you know, while you might gain some click throughs initially, I think that really starts to wear on your list, you know, over time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you covered sort of the two extremes of this and, and mm -hmm. one being, you know, yeah, you may actually have uh some sort of discount or something like that, be it free shipping or 10% off, but mm -hmm. you tend to always have that. And so I don't, I don't want an email about that. I know mm -hmm. you, you usually always have that kind of thing and it's not really anything I'm really going to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. The other extreme is, you know, you send an email out that says, you know, 40% off 50%, something crazy, huge discount, flash sale, you know, act now right. you open the email and then it's got the huge list of exclusions, you know. <laughs> it's a lot of fine print. Only, right, only <laughs> applies to stuff no one wants. Mm -hmm. None of the suits, shoes, anything else that you would ever want to buy. Right. Uh, you don't get discounts on those. Yeah. So you, you send me a couple of those, and I'm like, okay, I'm done with the list. You know, right. what's the point? If you don't actually have anything of value to send me, mm -hmm. don't send me anything because right. now I'm, I'm done. I'm right. over it. Your sales, to me, I automatically am skeptical about right. all of them. Well, and there are plenty of companies who, for their brand image, don't have, I guess, sales in the traditional right. sense. And that's fine. But don't mm -hmm. try to get people signed up into your newsletter and send them emails all the time if you don't have that. Right. You know, trying to use that as your angle. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Right. So, I, you know, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because, you know, especially H&R Block had done that. I see it a lot with the fashion sites, mm -hmm. um, you know, to the point where I know certain brands now they don't have sales and that's just right. it they just don't have sales or you get once in a lifetime right <laughs> you know every six months you get like but this, that you pay attention to this, that this, yeah well you get that one coupon once a year and 
<laughs> right, and it's I'm actually crazy. got it's actually got a coupon code in it, which right. even adds even more to the exclusivity. Right, and you're like, man, I have to buy something now, right? right. They never they, do this. They never have a real sale, and now mm-hmm. all of a sudden they have a real sale. I'm buying something, and I'm buying the most expensive thing I can think of. <laughs> right, and I'm that, stick it to them. In that case, man, that works. Right, that works. Right, it's it's the pretenders trying to trying to do something like that, mm-hmm. trying to get gullible people. People are going to figure that out. They're going to get yeah, and I think that maybe we're getting a little bit off topic, but I, I think also kind of along those lines, you know, I th- you mentioned though I might not pay attention to your to your emails anymore, and I think that that's a point that some people kind of forget to measure as well when they're doing email marketing, and they might be doing a tactic like this, and they might, you know, one of the arguments might be that well our unsubscribe rate is not really fluctuating that much. Well, just because people aren't unsubscribing doesn't mean your tactic is working. You know, you're assuming that you've pissed people off enough with your tactic that they are unsubscribing. But that's not, to me, necessarily a good metric for really gauging um, whether something is working or not, or even really click through. I think, you know, hopefully we've gotten to the point now where we're better evaluating kind of email strategies than just click-throughs and, you know, um, unsubscribes. But I think you do bring up a good point that sometimes, you know, you continue through a tactic like that and you lose people. And it might not be that your list is shrinking or you're getting a bunch of complaint emails, but your your message is falling on deaf ears. They just haven't taken the time yet to unsubscribe. Um, but you've really lost their peak interest. They're not really right. looking forward to that email coming through. Well, I mean, I think a couple points to that topic you just brought up. I mean, you know, for example, at least for me, uh, I don't really trust the unsubscribe links at the bottom of emails. They're never the one-click thing like they're supposed oh, yeah. to be. <laughs> I always have to figure out your crazy wording on your unsubscribe thing. Right. Am I am I signing up now for everything or am I removing myself i don't even oh, know i like that yeah though with the uh we have 20 lists we've checked yeah. some of them which one do you want to be on yeah you've invented a word <laughs> right. on the button but i don't know what that <laughs> word means yeah um so in that case i just create filters and right. yeah i still get all your emails but they just go straight to trash right or i mean how easy is it now on just my iphone delete. when i wake up in the morning i just swipe through all of your emails <laughs> right. and they go They're straight gone. to trash it's right. so easy you just yeah. thumb straight through 20 emails i got in the morning and don't look at any of them right yeah so those are things you need to keep in mind um you know i know we wanted to talk about social media marketing i actually have a study here from one of those benchmark companies you were talking about in this yeah. case i won't name names um okay so basically what the point of this is is this is a benchmark study Actually, it's not really an entire study. It's just one sort of survey question where they've extrapolated some information from this. Oh, okay. Measuring what social media marketers are measuring from their social media marketing efforts. Okay. Hold on. I need to add another social media marketing in there. Just say it many times. So right. if you're keeping track now, <laughs> when you do social media marketing via Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, how are you measuring MySpace. right myspace <laughs> what are some of the other ones i can't even think of tumblr we spam myspace out of existence so it's not really a social network anymore but oh, you know so so things. what are you measuring to sort of validate justify, your efforts yeah yeah justify your so efforts. was this a successful campaign mm-hmm. what are what numbers are you using to right. what's in that to, powerpoint slide that you're sending to the boss right to take to the director of marketing and, and show off huge numbers and gains those 3000% mm-hmm. increases 
big charts. Right. So a few of the common things that people are measuring, 61% of people are measuring social reach, meaning number of followers, likes, members, subscribers, okay. things of this nature. That's about an afternoon's work with some bots. Right. So the easy stuff <laughs> right. that you just, you go to your Twitter account and you just pull up the number of okay. followers you have. Um, second highest on the list, 49% are tracking actual traffic referrals from social media websites. Okay. So rivals on to the site that right. social media so is generating Right, so actual traffic directly. we're pulling from mm-hmm. Twitter and Facebook and all those other sites. Um, next on the list, 35% are measuring leads that they're getting from these social media channels. 33% engagement per actual individual post and tweet. So each little thing I post on there, I am measuring how many people are interacting with it, viewing it, retweeting it, clicking it, whatever. That's interesting. Well, I mean, I can understand those metrics. I mean, I think from a lead standpoint, social media, kind of like PPC, sometimes it's multiple exposures to the channel that really lands a sale or, you know, Really, it's a multifaceted effort at this point, and with one, how easy it is to navigate the web and to go to other places, but two, how much better people are at navigating the web. You know, it, it's so many. It's now a multi-touch, and it has been for a long time, multi-touch world. So it's interesting that they're diving in that deep. So I wonder if that leads you to make some bad conclusions about, you know, like. A template to use for posts like this converted really well yeah but that that wasn't really the main catalyst that really right. drove those depending on what you're looking at maybe it wasn't that it was a you know you have done a three-part series and part one two and three together now have kind of like done a great job of kind of growing your audience but also kind of nurturing them along right and it just so happens that at your final one, people are kind of ready for the conversion and are um, are essentially prepped. But that wasn't because that post in particular was anything special. It was just that, that culmination of events. So that's interesting. Well, and you know, not only that, I mean, <clears throat> with social media marketing, there are so many other variables in terms of trying to test the mm. effectiveness of each individual message, you know, right. time of day, what what your competitors were doing, what everyone else in that person's feed right, or whoever they're following, what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. So many factors going on there. It's really hard to take all of those into account when you try to measure the effectiveness. Yeah, I mean, there's so many like thing. different parameters taken in mind, like not only how many retweets they were, but who retweeted it. Right. I mean, I'm sure that has a huge put or a huge influence on really the conversion of those posts. Cause we, we all have different trust levels with people that we follow and, and pay attention to. So that has to be like a huge part. I mean, there's just so many in social media, but going back, what was it? 35% look at the leads per, right? That's interesting. I thought it would be a little higher than that, to be well, honest. I mean, I... I don't necessarily think it's a good metric perhaps of what you're trying to accomplish with social media, but I would think that people that aren't, that don't understand social media well, so potentially, you know, executives and things like that would want that sort of reporting. But I don't know if that's necessarily what you want out of social media. Right. I'm kind of surprised that numbers are a little bit higher. Well, and I wonder what they mean by leads when they say that. So uh, 
moving on, 27% are measuring conversion rate. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but, you know, I guess sort of the point is it's a pretty far down on the list till people actually measure conversion rate. Mm-hmm. And then even further down the list, actually at the bottom, is measuring ROI, and that's at 20%. Mm-hmm. So most people aren't measuring ROI in physical, tangible right. uh, stats from this. And I guess the takeaway from this particular uh blog post, benchmark report, whatever, is that that needs to change in social media marketing. And I feel like that's been the trend by these, uh, a lot of people trying to sort of buck the trend of, you know, it's not all about how many people are paying attention to what you're saying. It's about, okay, at the end of the day, what's the ROI on that? All right. And we have the capability to track these things. And why aren't you tracking these things and paying mm-hmm. attention to this stuff? And I think that, I guess the point of this little segment here is, I don't think that's the right attitude to take. All right. At the same time, I don't think it's like just go crazy and, and <laughs> right. you know. Let's have a 30-person social media team. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter what happens on social media. We just, that's just what we do. Right. I don't think the attitude to take is we have to measure every tweet we send out and how many sales do we get from that one and mm-hmm. uh, the department, how much we have in salary in the department and are we getting the ROI from sales from social media. Yeah, because I think what, what, what that typically lends itself to if you're going to follow that train of thought is you you kind of take a very scientific approach to your efforts then and we know that x works and and it becomes less of a conversation and more of a blueprinted tactic and to me with the companies that i follow on social media that I, i think do it well it's not they it's very organic feeling it, it feels like they they engage their users it's more of a conversation and there's just more personality there now there's also inherent risks there when you make it uh more of a conversation and uh less like we're just going to tweet our sales and, and things like that but i think that as businesses we maybe need to think about social media more in the terms like we were talking about a couple episodes ago about the personality and the brand building of our companies and sometimes maybe there's not necessarily a good ROI measure but it's it's something that we're embarking on because we think a it's worthwhile for our company to kind of portray this image out there but from a consumer engagement standpoint too there's benefits there as well that sometimes don't present themselves in one tweet um, or in single actions it's kind of the culmination of that 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 leads itself to having a benefit to the uh, to the greater masses right and and it sort of lends into the next topic we're going to talk about not quite yet though but I I think that it's just a it's almost like a paralysis by analysis we have all of this information available so we must use it in some way. Right. Um, and I don't think just in general, not just speaking towards social media, you can look at a lot of different channels in ways that aren't necessarily so ROI specific or conversion rate specific. Mm-hmm. Now there are channels where like that's the that's what you use. You know, paid right. search, for example. Sure. Um, you know, I have that capability and that's just how that channel is done. It's mm-hmm. usually off the click to straight to conversion, and that's what the goal is. But with something like social media marketing, it's about building that brand, like you were saying. Right. I mean, the companies that I like to actually follow social media-wise, very few. Mm-hmm. But the ones that do are actually engaging and creating content that I'm, like, consuming. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily – I'm not clicking on that link to buy anything. Right. Clicking on that link because they got a cool video that explains something that I'm interested in. Right. 
and they, they do that they enough. They keep themselves front in mind. Right. They do that enough, and I just love the company. Mm-hmm. And they're not the cheapest. No. And their website's not the best, but they're the company I always think of because they create that cool content. It's They have great personalities on the right. site, and I know them, and I appreciate that content that they create, yeah. and I want to repay them by... Telling using others about right, it. Right, exactly, exactly. Or, you know, when I'm going into, you know, whatever exactly. it might be. And so how do you measure that directly? I don't think you can. Right, in a, in a, in a meaningful way at this point. Right, and there shouldn't necessarily be a push to do that. I mean, as marketers, internet marketers especially, we, again, have this obsession with we have the capability of tracking things, so we should be tracking everything. But right. you sometimes have to step Which is back. kind of made evident, too, like the freak out when... Uh, Google started implementing SSL for login users and how that affected Google Analytics right. and a lot of the analytics programs. You know, a lot of our search term and search information now is gone. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, because we can, because we can measure so much, we feel like we have to. Uh, and I think that one, it you know, it uh, can debilitate us if we can't really handle that much data. But two. I think sometimes we look at data and without really having an understanding of how data works, what is significance, um, and understanding the bigger picture of things, sometimes we make conclusions based on bad data all the time. You know, we'll, we'll segment. I see this all the time in website testing where people will look at data and they'll segment it down to such a small number of people and make some wild conclusions about you know, well, these people acted bad, you know, poorly towards a test. We need to start over, you know, or um, just making some really large leaps with data because there's some data there present, but they have no idea on really how to handle that effectively. And it really causes people to go down some rabbit holes and spend time on things that are inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. Right. Uh, and I think that that's why I mentioned in, in the past that I think that for someone embarking on online marketing, understanding a basic level of statistics and data is is paramount to help you, number one, just do your job better, but also prioritize your effort for the best bang for your buck uh, as well. But, sorry, that was a long tangent. You know, <laughs> going back to the uh, social media aspect, I think this is kind of one of those areas that even though I've just said all that, where this needs to be looked at differently because I don't think that those metrics necessarily tell the true story. Um, right. Which is, I think is what you were getting at. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you could almost liken it to content marketing just in general. I mean, sort of how you market content is, mm-hmm. is through social media oftentimes because it's, it's, it's cheap and, and relatively easy to do. But again, it's like, that's, I think measuring it directly via ROI and conversion rates and, and sales and figures like that you end up becoming very short-sighted with your marketing. Mm-hmm. And it's all about uh, creating different, completely different kinds of messaging to get sales quickly instead of building long-term relationships, right. mm-hmm. which maybe isn't necessary for every kind of business, but I think most businesses could greatly um, could see great increases by not focusing so intensely on the immediate ROI of every little thing that we're doing. Right. Let's build a brand with good marketing. Mm-hmm. It might um, take some time. And in the long run, I think you end up better off. Hey, yeah, I would agree. Um, so I think we can move on to the next topic. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I was kind of reminded about this 
so I've, I've felt frustrated now for a while. Um, and, and this part of this is just my background kind of in the space, but I feel like for probably since the beginning of time, ever since QVC was invented, but, um, <laughs> that, you know, there has been, especially in the online space, an issue where when we are kind of bombarded with everyday usability studies, best practices, webinars, I mean, you name it, there's, you know, tons of decks out there on how to do online marketing better, how to make $100 a day in 30 days, you know, whatever it might be. And for a number of years now, I feel like I have to sift through so much crap that people will try to hook you on in the race to 1000% gain. And all these benchmark companies and uh, research firms and uh, just any Joe Schmoes out there will publish, you know, we lifted a site 200% or through our ad rewrites, we got a 150% click-through rate increase. And what I really fail to see done really well is let's get away from that. You know, as a marketer that has worked in this space for a long time, my first thought of that is, so what? I mean, that's a great big number, but who cares? I mean, that that is such a small portion of what I need to be paying attention to. You know, if I've increased the conversion rate, well, let's tackle some big questions. Like, what was that impact to the bottom line? So when I got more conversion rates, were those leads more expensive? So now my margins are now in the negative. You know, does is the leads that I got crappier now? So I'm having to spend more time filtering through all this trash and having to pay my sales guys more to spend time nurturing each lead and going through all this, again, garbage that I got through my site. Um, and, and all these more important questions from these studies that, that I fail to see time and time again. And I think it's because we still click through on that stuff. I and mean, we haven't really held these comp- companies responsible enough to give us good information. Uh, or when you start looking at some of these studies, you'll find that they've segmented the data so much to give you these huge gains that it probably represents such a small portion of the general population that they were testing or is relevant to their total site that it might not even have paid for the salary of the person that worked on that campaign uh, for the results that they got. So, I mean, I would like to see us as marketers kind of unite against the snake oil. So I'm starting a campaign, (laughs) unite against the snake oil. Do you have the dot com? (laughs) No, not yet, but in five (laughs) minutes I will. Uh, Where we stop clicking through on these studies and demanding better information from companies that really gets to the heart of, really better understanding the psychology of online visitors and what's driving them to make decisions where we can get better as companies to deliver them what they need and, and understanding that in a bottom line impact. What, what kind of tactics do we need to make right. to not only improve things, but in a, in a more meaningful way? So what I got 200% conversion yeah. increase, like what, what does that really mean? Well, I, I almost wonder if those great insights are out there, if companies are 
digging that deep mm-hmm. uh, or taking the time to really get those insights that you're speaking about. And I mean, maybe even companies are trying to, but they don't apply to everyone in the way that these other studies do. They don't have those catchy headlines. They have this list of buts that mm-hmm. no one wants to pay attention to. <laughs> right. and, caveats. and no one wants to read that. Mm-hmm. I think, though, the primary issue here, though, is inexperience and youth, both in the industry itself and in a lot of the people who are in this industry. So the industry itself is so new. I mean, how long has the internet been around? How long has internet marketing been huge? Right. Not not that long. I mean, mm-hmm. a decade and some change. Right. And that's, you know, decades going back to old school. And it's, and it's drastically changed hell even in the last five years. Oh, absolutely. And then, so not only that. Oh, five years ago, I think the iPhone was still, like, new. Like, we were... <laughs> Amazed that people even wanted a smartphone in general. Well, like, no, that, why would you need all that? That anyone wanted to touch their phone, oh, touch yeah. screens. The Razer flip phone, son, get yeah, with it. That was the jam. <laughs> so yeah, so not only that. So the industry is so young in itself. Um, actually, I think it's it's the youth coupled with something else. So I'll get to that in a second. So not only is the industry young, I think we're getting so many young people in this industry who don't have much experience. Right. But because there's such a wealth and plethora of information out there, they can learn enough to be dangerous quickly. Mm-hmm. And they can be put in positions and move up and and sort of talk the talk without right. being able to walk the walk, really. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a good example. So my background is, for, for those that are new to podcasts, I worked uh, at quite a few agencies. So I've had a lot of exposure to kind of different verticals and run a lot of different tests. And like you were saying... You know, oh, even when I when I was younger in the industry, it was all about just the conversion rate. What what did we lift and what was it? And that's fine for reporting. Now, as I've kind of grown up, so to say, um, that has changed. So as of recent, I'm running a a test on a big retail website currently, and we're we're looking at promotions. So what we're trying to you know ascertain from this test is. Not only what's the conversion impact of promo codes and sales, but what's the cost that's involved? So how much more now are we paying for these conversions? And that does it, does it even make sense? So, you know, for a test, yes, this promotion of free shipping at a certain cutoff did actually lift conversion rate. But looking at our coupon usage and how much that costs us per sale now as well, well, Actually, when we look at the numbers, gross profit is gone down. So, yes, I can actually lift conversion rate and get our order numbers up. But from a kind of a uh, profit and loss standpoint, we've actually lost money on this sale. And I think, you know, it would be refreshing to look at studies like that from marketing companies um, which I think would really help our industry grow up a bit, like you were saying, because... You know, looking at things from an educational standpoint, and my boss was talking to me about this the other day. He was like, where do people go to get good at testing or how to better understand online marketing? You know, where can I go and get trained? And there's not too many places out there that really give you a good amount of information to look at things above just the snake oil stuff, you know, to, to essentially instill in you the... 20 to 50 best practices that everyone else knows, you know, make your buttons big, make them orange. So they stand out, you know, all the, the stupid stuff that 
you know, everyone knows and rehashes and sends out every month in their, you know, monthly webinar. Um, but there hasn't been a good company to kind of set themselves apart um, to kind of delve into these tests and understand from a, a, a deeper level and really impart that knowledge. So stop with the snake oil. Let's demand some better information out there. Um, so that's enough on that tangent. <laughs> so really just bothers me though i'm sick of seeing that i I haven't seen a thousand percent though that i think that will be like my i'm gonna retire (laughs) and finally gone to shit can't top it i can't 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 top it until next month when some come someone comes out with ten thousand percent increase (laughs) i wouldn't put it past some people all right so the last last topic we're gonna really talk about is um so matt cuts i think this was at pubcon um which <laughs> PubCon people are always scared of Matt Cutts because whatever he says could potentially ruin their business. <laughs> but uh, for those that I, don't know who he is, he is really the guy in charge of spam at Google. Uh, and it was really integral in developing their <clears throat> search algorithm and how PageRank works internally at Google. Um, so in a panel discussion, he hinted at that in the future later this year that Google might start assessing based on what it feels like is good practices for usability on sites and taking that into account when it um, delivers search results to visitors. So what does that mean? He was asked. Um, And in their vague, sheepish way, as Google usually responds, um, they weren't very specific, but some of the examples that he presented were you know, looking at things like font size, spacing on your line heights, and things that they deem as kind of best practices for how you deliver content on the web now will become a factor in how they assess kind of the quality, which I guess is what they're always trying to essentially arrive at with PageRank, of your site and how relevant it is to people. And that got the rumor mill a buzz, let me tell you, and people are freaking <laughs> out, um, which I think is, is going to be interesting because, you know, as I kind of sat there and tried to digest it more, I mean, number one, Google is usually not very specific at anything they do, especially when it comes to guidelines. And so I think when they are starting to try to assess usability, I think that one they're probably not going to publish anything that you can decipher without a code ring that you get out of a Lucky Charms box <laughs> and hopefully come up with a message. But two, you know, who's to say that what is usable for most people isn't different for for my site, you know, and how, you know, where I might be penalized from the get-go on what you feel like I might be violating some guidelines when other metrics that you currently rely on show me as a good quality site. You know, maybe your definition of how font should read and how text structure should be on a site and image ratios to text is nice for most sites, but what if we're going after a totally different audience? Maybe we are a design blog and the content that we generate is is for a totally different audience than most and i think where google's going to have some trouble there is is really how do you establish standards like that without really one penalizing people on the bleeding edge but two also very niche sites that that one 
maybe have had this layout forever, and that's what people are accustomed to. Um, but two, people that want to push the envelope on the on the web and maybe progress things. Um, so I, I've been kind of talking quite a bit. So I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I think it's it's something that it'll be important for us as marketers to kind of keep in mind when we're doing tests and delivering new content. Yeah, I think moving forward, it, it'll be interesting to see exactly how they do this. But I, I can't see how people are so surprised to hear that it's something that they're doing. I mean, some of those issues you were just talking about in terms of font size are things that SEOs have been talking about forever in terms of don't put, you know, eight point font on your site. Google think you're spamming them. So, you know, like you don't want to get caught for that. So mm -hmm. people are sort of already, and if that's just paranoia or not, I, I don't, you know, who's to say. Sure. But so people already think that you know, Google looks at some things like that, and Google tries to distinguish usability or at least relevancy right. using metrics in certain ways, like mm -hmm. you know, click-throughs, bounces, and, and like time that. on site, and, and all sorts of things like that. And if you set up goals, how many people are actually converting on your mm -hmm. site, and all sorts of things that information they're able to get via Google Analytics and the Chrome browser and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, it's just the next piece, I guess, that they're building into trying to make a better web mm -hmm. and trying to filter out the spam and really get the top sites to the top. Now, in, you know, like you said, you, there's probably a lot of concern about how exactly they're going to do this. And any time <laughs> they do some sort of algorithm change, a certain subset of sites get whacked. Right. And then there's always a bunch of other sites where everyone's like, well, what's, my site got whacked, but they're doing, the, you right. know, they're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Or they're doing it worse than I am. Right. But they're a big brand. Right. And you get a free pass. And you can never really tell because, like you said, Google's not going to put it out exactly on the line. This is what we're looking for, X, right. Y, Z. If they did... Then, then all would, the Viagra sites would be up right, to then point. It would, <laughs> exactly. It would be useless because all the spammers would just match it exactly right. and find some other way around it. So it's going to be interesting. Um, I don't know. It, it's... I don't know that I, I wonder how much it's actually going to change things. Right. Because, I, uh, I, I mean, I think that, like I, I mentioned earlier on, I think people are getting. S I mean, one, we're growing up with the web and people are getting better at using it. And with that comes certain expectations for things. And I think now, with the ease of finding alternate products, our tolerance level for what we could say is shitty experiences is going down as a general usage population. So I think that already in metrics that they probably measure that if you have a terrible site in the sense of usability, it probably already shows. I think the concern for a lot of people is probably going to be, am I going to get penalized for something new because it's not within your guidelines, but it's actually working well for us. Um, but I think what it's going to do is cause us as marketers to probably eat some more Tums on a regular basis. Because, <laughs> you know, we already have to juggle, you know, a lot for... I don't know if it's the case for most people, but for us, when we're developing tests, I mean, we're already having to kind of keep in mind a lot of different things. You know, how... If we're doing like a landing page, you know, how does this potentially affect SEO? Uh, is it going to need to go to them for review or is it going to affect them negatively? Are we going to have to kind of make this a no index type solution? 
you know, if, if PPC could potentially hit this page, is that a problem? Uh, you know, is there quality concerns there? Um, and a ton of other things that we have to juggle. And now with usability guidelines, this is kind of another thing to kind of weigh down on kind of the checklist that we have to go through when we're developing <clears throat> new ideas and we want to test things. So, you know, I don't, it, it's, it's all speculation on our part, what's going to happen. I'm, Part of me is glad that Google's going down this road because I think that something needs to be done to kind of help sites get to a better point. I mean, it's amazing to me now how many sites, just from a font selection and rendering, like, do you ever read your site? And this is like 10-point font on Times New Roman, and it looks terrible. Yeah. And I can't even... I Okay, I have iPods. I have glasses. <laughs> no big deal. I'm handicapped. No big deal. But, you know... I, this is not readable, and it's amazing. We're in 2013 now, for heaven's sakes, and and people still have terrible reading sites. I mean, let's right. at well, least get the text down. To your point, if you ever watch someone use the internet or use oh, a computer, gosh. their face is, is three inches from the screen. They're craning over <laughs> right. to try to read the site. Right. Because just like you said. And, and so part of me is glad they're kind of down this road because hopefully this will like force a maturity in certain areas so I don't have to keep getting new prescriptions for my glasses from trying to strain to read these <laughs> terrible sites all the time. Um, but it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of walk that fine line of how do we do that without, you know, causing tears in the street, which it probably will anyways, regardless. But, yeah. uh, you know, how they kind of bridge there's, that, that There's road. a whole cult of people who follow Google and want to yell at them every time they make a change. Yeah, but they got the uh, scorned, search traffic. So. Scorned, scorned <laughs> affiliate marketers and spammers and everyone else. Yeah. Neckbeard crowd, eh? Yeah. 904-270-9603. That is the direct phone number to the bearded marketers. Also, we have one of those hamburger <laughs> phones that you'll be calling into. So you can just get that mental image going that you're calling the bearded marketers. Uh, and, and that's what we're using to talk to you. Unfortunately, it'll go straight to voicemail. Leave us a voicemail. Text us. We can actually read text on the hamburger phone. <laughs> Um, we want to know. It's an advanced hamburger. Yeah, path. we want to know what you think about Google's possible updates with usability, and also what are some what are some topics that you guys want us to talk about? What are what are your struggle points? You know, let's get away from snake oil. Give us some topics that you guys because very soon we're going to be launching some of our own studies uh, because we can't just sit on our. This is a very nice reading chair right now that I'm sitting on. <laughs> and we can't just sit here and complain about it without contributing back. So we're actually going to start embarking on a research series here. We're going to get some studies done. But we need your help on what are your struggle points and, uh, and trying to get to the bottom of helping us as online marketers get better in this, uh, in this new space. So yeah. give us some suggestions. We'd love the feedback. All right. Well, thank you guys for your time. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. 